Part 10 of A Guide to the Lakes by Thomas West. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Oldswater. Those who do not choose to go as far as Penrith may, near the eighth mile post, turn off to the right. Melfell, a round green hill, will be on the left to Matterdale and into Gowbarrow Park, which brings them upon Oldswater, about the middle part of it where it is seen to great advantage. But here it must be observed that some of the greatest beauties of the lake and sweetest scenes are entirely lost by this route. Dunmallet, the greatest ornament of the lake, with the whole of the first great bend, remain unseen, and much of the dignity of the lake is thereby destroyed. It is therefore better to ride on to the gate on the right that leads to Dacre, and over Dacre Common, to the foot of Dunmallet. By this course every part of the lake will be viewed to the greatest advantage. Mr. Gray's choice of visiting this lake was from Penrith, up the Vale of Eamon. A great autumnal day, went to see Oldswater, five miles distant, soon left Keswick Road and turned to the left through shady lanes along the Vale of Eamon, which runs rapidly on near the way, rippling over the stones. To the right, Dalemain, a large fabric of pale red stone, with nine windows in front and seven on the side. Farther on, Hutton St. John, a castle-like old mansion of Mr. Huddleston's. Approached on Mallet, a fine pointed hill covered with wood, began to mount the hill and with some toil gained the summit. From hence saw the lake opening directly at my feet, majestic in its calmness, clear and smooth as a blue mirror, with winding shores and low points of land, covered with green enclosures, white farmhouses looking out among the trees, and cattle feeding. The water is almost everywhere bordered with cultivated lands, gently sloping upwards from a mile to a quarter of a mile in breadth, till they reach the feet of the mountains, which rise very rude and awful with their broken tops on either hand directly in front, at better than three miles' distance. Place Fell, one of the bravest among them, pushes its bold, broad breast into the midst of the lake, and forces it to alter its course, forming first a large bay to the left, and then bending to the right. Descended Dunmallet by a side avenue, only not perpendicular, and came to Barton Bridge over the Eamon. Then walked through a path in the wood, round the bottom of the hill, came forth where the Eamon issues out of the lake, and continued my way along the western shore, close to the water, and generally on a level with it. It is nine miles long, and at widest under a mile in breadth. After extending itself three miles and a half in a line to the south-west, it turns at the foot of Place Fell, almost due west, and is here not twice the breadth of the Thames at London. It is soon again interrupted by the route of Helvellyn, a lofty and very rugged mountain, and spreading again, turns off to the south-east, and is lost among the deep recesses of hills. To this second turning I pursued my way, about four miles, along its borders, beyond a village scattered among trees, and called Watermillock. Here Mr. Gray leaves us, and the greatest part of the lake unseen, and the most picturesque parts undescribed. The last bend of the lake is spotted with rocky isles, 
deeply indented, with wooded promontories on one side, and rocks on the other. Antiquities Before you quit the top of Dunmallet, observe the vestiges of its former importance, an area of 110 paces by 37, surrounded with a foss still visible. Stones of the rampart still peep through the grass. The well that supplied the guard kept here was but lately filled up with stones. This fort must have been of much consequence in guarding the lake and commanding the pass, and of maintaining a connection between the garrisons of Ambleside and Broome, being five or six miles distant from the latter, and nineteen from the former. There are strong vestiges of a square fort on Sulby Fell, which communicates with this and the camp at Whitbarrow. Opposite to Watermillock, a cataract descends the front of Swarth Fell in Martindale Forest. At Skilling Nab, a bold promontory, the lake is contracted to a span, but soon spreads itself again both ways, forming a variety of sweet bays and promontories. After a reach of three miles, it winds with a grand sweep round the smoothest breast of Place Fell, and making a turn directly south, advances with equal breadth towards Patterdale. The western shore is various. Drawing near the second bend, the mountains strangely intersect each other. Behind many wooded hills rises Stone Cross Pike, and over all, Steep Helvellyn shows his sovereign head, on the western side, Yew Crag, a noble pile of rock, fronts Place Fell, where it weeps in a cataract to the lake. Gowbarrow Park opens with a grand amphitheatre of shining rock, the floor of which is spread with a soft green pasture, once shaded with ancient oaks, to which many decayed roots bear witness. Scattered thorns, trees and bushes vary the ground pastured with flocks, herds of cattle and fallow deer. The road winds along the margin of the lake, clear as a mirror, at every turn renewing scenes the finest that can be imagined. At the upper end of Gowbarrow Park, the last bend of the lake, which is by much the finest, opens, scattered with small rocky islands. The shores are bold, rocky, wooded, and much embayed. Past Newbridge, the road winds up a steep rock, having the lake underneath you on the left, from the top, have a view under the trees both up and down the lake. Martindale Fell, a naked grey rock on the opposite shore, rises abruptly from the water to an alpine height. The effect is astonishing. The rock you stand upon hangs over the lake, blue and unfathomable to the eye. An island in the middle space has a beautiful effect. This is the most romantic, pleasing and terrible situation upon the lake, especially if the wind blows the surges of the water against the rock below you. The shores on both sides upward are very pleasing, and the little decorating isles are scattered in the most exquisite taste and delightful order. The ride along the banks, since the repair of the road, is charming. The upper end terminates in sweet meadows, surrounded on the right by towering rocky hills, broken and wooded, Martindale Fell is the opposite boundary, skirted here with hanging enclosures, cots and farms. The principal feeders of the lake are Grisdale Beck on the western corner, and Goldrill Beck, which descends from Kirkston Fell. 
they enter the lake in a freer manner than the feeder of Derwent does, and make a much finer appearance where they join the lake. From the bridge in Patterdale, Goldrill Beck serpentizes sweetly through the meadows, and falls easily into the lake, about the middle of the vale. Glencairn Beck, descending from Helvellyn, joins the lake at Airy Bridge. There is, from the top of the rock above the inn, a very charming view of the last bend of the lake, which constitutes one of the finest landscapes on it, and takes in just enough for a delightful picture. The nearest foreground is a fall of enclosures, a rocky wooded mountain that hangs over Patterdale House. Martindale Fell is in the point of distance on the right, steep rocks and shaggy woods hanging from their sides on the left. Gowbarrow Park rises in a fine style from the water edge for the background, and a noble reach of water, beautifully spotted with rocky isles, charmingly disposed with perpetual change of rocky shore, fill the middle space of this beautiful picture. This lake is of a depth sufficient for breeding char, and abounds with variety of other fish. Trout of thirty pounds weight and upwards are said to be taken here. The water of the lake is very clear, but has nothing of the transparency of Derwent, and is inferior to Buttermere and Crummock water also in this respect. The stones in the bottom, and along the shores, are coated with mud. Mr. Gray observed, in viewing this lake, the same order as at Keswick, along its banks and facing the mountains, from the parity of reason, that the idea of magnitude and magnificence are thereby increased as much as possible, with advantage of foreground, and every object viewed this way appears much higher than when seen from an elevated station, which depresses the dimension on which the idea of magnitude and magnificence depend. This lake, viewed from any height except Dunmallet, loses much of its dignity as a lake from the number of its flexures and juttings out of promontories, but it regains the appearance of a magnificent river engulfed in rocks. The bold winding hills, the intersecting mountains, the pyramidal cliffs, the bulging broken rugged rocks, the hanging woods, the easy waterfalls in some places, and in others the tumbling roaring cataract, are parts of the sublimer scenes in this surprising vale. The cultivated spots wave upward from the water in beautiful slopes, intersected by hedges, waving with trees in the most picturesque manner. Mansions, cottages and farms, placed in sweetest points, are the rural parts, and altogether form the most delightful, charming scenes. The accompaniments of this lake are disposed in the most picturesque order, bending round its margin and spreading upwards in craggy rocks and mountains, irregular in height and shape and broken topped, yet much inferior in sublime heights and horrible grandeur to the environs of Keswick and the dreadful rocks in Borrowdale. But in this opinion we have Mr. Cumberland against us, who, having visited and seen the other lakes in dark unfavourable weather, when nothing could be seen, besides weeping rocks, flooded roads and watery plains, darkened by sable clouds that hovered over them motionless, and concealed their variegated shores, entertained an unfavourable idea of them, and being more fortunate in a fine day, in that part of the tour where he visited Ullswater, he attuned his lyre 
in honour of this enchanting lake, and sung its charms in preference not only to Windermere, Grasmere, and the Vale of Keswick, but raises it above the pride of Lomond and the marvellous Killarney. Mr. Cumberland, in that sweet ode, represents himself upon the banks of the Lake of Ulswater, bemoaning himself and the hardness of his fate, when the sun beaming forth blessed him with a full display of all the beauties of this enchanting lake. In gratitude for so special a favour, in a true poetic rapture, he dedicates the charming ode to the god of day, whose partiality to the lake of Patterdale he gratefully indulges, in the following harmonious numbers. Me turbid skies and threatening clouds await, emblems, alas, of my ignoble fate. But see the embattled vapours break, disperse and fly, posting like couriers down the sky. The grey rock glitters in the glassy lake, and now the mountain tops are seen, frowning amidst the blue serene. The variegated groves appear, decked in the colours of the waning year, and, as new beauties they unfold, dip their skirts in beaming gold. Thee, savage Wyburn, now I hail, delicious Grasmere's calm retreat, and stately Windermere I greet, and Keswick's sweet fantastic vale. But let her maids yield to thee, and lowly bend the subject knee. Imperial lake of Patrick's dale, for neither Scottish Lomond's pride, nor smooth Killarney's silver tide, nor aught that learned Poussin drew, or dashing Rosa flung upon my view, shall shake thy sovereign undisturbed right, great scene of wonder and sublime delight. Hail to thy beams, O sun, for this display. What glorious orb can I repay? The thanks of an unprostituted muse. The navigators of this lake find much amusement by discharging guns or small cannon at certain stations. The report is reverberated from rock to rock, promontory, cavern and hill, with a variety of sound, dying away upon the ear, and again returning like peals of thunder, re-echoed seven times distinctly. Opposite to Watermillock is one of those stations. The higher end of the lake is fourteen miles from Penrith and ten from Ambleside, good turnpike road. Only at Staybarrow Crag the road is cut into the rock that awfully overhangs it and is too narrow. Above Goldrill Bridge the vale becomes narrow and poor, the mountains steep, naked and rocky. Much blue slate of an excellent kind is excavated out of their bowels. The ascent from the lake to the top of Kirkston is easy. There are many waterfalls from the mountains on both sides. From the top of Kirkston to Ambleside, the descent is quick. Some remarkable stones near the gorge of the pass are called High Trough. The only lake that remains to be visited in this course is Hawes Water. End of part 10